This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello there, folks. Welcome, or welcome back. Here we are again, discussing the strange, the unsolved, the mysterious, the weird, the misunderstood, the creepy. This is Stranger Than. I'm Nate, coming to you solo this time. As we said last time, Joanna was going to be on vacation, and unfortunately Bert was unable to make it at the last minute, so here we are. Hopefully it'll be alright for you all, I think it'll be alright for me. Today we are talking about the Eye of the Sahara. The Sahara is a 3,600,000 square mile desert on the African continent. That's 9,200,000 square kilometers. It is the largest hot desert on Earth, and the third largest overall desert after Antarctica and the Arctic. I had always associated deserts with necessarily being hot, but there are things called polar deserts, and they are larger than hot ones apparently. A weird comparison I saw was between Phoenix, Arizona and the north slope of Brooks Range in Alaska. Brooks Range is a mountain range that goes east to west across northern Alaska and Canada's Yukon Territory. Both of these places get, on the average, under 9 inches of rain yearly. That's 250 millimeters. So not much, and one of those is in a place with a shit ton of snow. The United States of America is 3 million 796,742 square miles in area, 9,833,520 square kilometers, and China is 3,705,407 square miles, and that would be 9,596,961 square kilometers. This kind of puts the size of that desert into perspective. The Earth is on a 41,000 cycle year of wobbling. This is called precession. The wobbling sort of causes the base of the Earth's axis to move around a bit, so it changes. It's believed that the axis can fluctuate from between 22 to 25 degrees. Currently, we are at a 23.5 degree tilt, 8 to 10,000 years ago, which puts us at approximately 7900 to 5900 BCE, we were on a 24.1 degree tilt. Six-tenths of a degree change may seem like very little, but when we're dealing with something as large as the planet, it's not. The wobbling changes on a roughly 26,000-year cycle. I'm not sure if the wobbling takes some time to create an axis change or exactly the hows or whys of how these two things relate to one another, but somehow they do. At any rate, the six-tenths change in axis causes the North African monsoons to follow a different route that no longer feeds the areas we know today as the Sahara. I read an article published at the beginning of 2019 that said that the Sahara was on a 20,000-year green-to-desert cycle, also based on the tilt of the Earth. This is based on analyses of dust deposits off the coast of West Africa that have been collecting there for 24,000 years. 
This is research done by MIT. I believe the way they do this is by finding the Zahara dust along with fossils that they are able to date. It gets a bit more complicated than that. If you'd like to read the article, go to phys.org, that's P-H-Y-S dot O-R-G, and do a search for Sahara Lush. It should be the top article. Something to think about is that there were humans alive and doing human things when this change occurred. The city of Jericho in modern-day Israel and Damascus in Syria are considered to be the oldest settlements. Mainstream archaeology says that this is where it all started. There are signs in Jericho of structures being built that date back to 9000 BCE, and signs of more primitive settlements happening 1000 years previous. In Damascus, there is evidence of habitation 1000 years even before that. This all occurred pretty much as soon as the Younger Dryas had subsided enough to allow for year-round habitation. Though the Younger Dryas is said to have ended around 9700 BCE, it still took some time for the climate to warm up. The last great ice age that hit the planet reached its maximum iciness around 24,500 BCE. It came back briefly a few times, and arguably the most relevant of these comebacks is called the Younger Dryas. It's named after a certain type of flower that was prevalent at the time. This flower is called an indicator species, as it can only exist in a very specific type of environment, in this particular case a very cold one. The flower is called the Eight-Petal Mountain Avens, or Dryas octopetala. There's a theory that there was some kind of impact by an extraterrestrial object, like a comet, that caused the Younger Dryas and killed off the remaining megafaunal critters like mammoths and shit. This is also suspected to have been what killed off the Clovis culture, named for the area where a specific type of arrowhead was found used by them. Mainstream science considers the Clovis culture to be the ancestors of the indigenous peoples of both North and South America. Another theory of what killed off the Clovis culture was their overhunting of large land animals, such as mammoths, and a subsequent famine due to lack of food. Personally, I find that to be fairly unlikely, since one of those critters would feed quite a few people for quite some time, and there weren't a whole lot of people, so it just seems like a handful of people killing off millions of animals is eh, just a stretch. In the vast expanse of land that is the Sahara, there are several countries. One of these is the Islamic Republic of Mauritania in the northwest of the continent on the coast. In the central part of the country, there is the Adrar Plateau, also called Adrar Tama, as Adrar is the Berber word for mountain, and many places in the Sahara are called Adrar. Berber is the language spoken in much of North Africa. Here can be found the Richat structure, or the Eye of the Sahara. I just spent a considerable amount of time talking about thousands of year cycles and ancient human stuff, but all that is just thousands of years. Minerals found in the eye date back billions of years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
This 25-mile diameter structure is a geological dome that contains rocks that predate life as we know it on the planet and looks quite a bit like a natural spiral or a bullseye, a series of concentric circles. Domes can be formed naturally in a few ways. After the impact of a body against another body, such as a comet and the Earth, a small portion in the center of the impact zone creates a dome because of the ground bouncing back after the strike. This is called a post-impact uplift, and I think we mentioned this in the Hollow Earth episode for some reason. Diaporism is another way a dome is formed. This is done when a material forces its way up to the surface. Imagine four layers of clay, each a different color. Take a fifth colored ball of clay and slowly push it up from the bottom. This creates a dome. If you cut this dome in half, it consists of a layer of each color all the way through. The clay is the layers of earth, and as the dome erodes over time, it leaves a series of concentric circles from each layer of earth. Domes can also be formed by what's called refolding. From what I can understand, refolding is done when waves of material are pushed together. Going back to clay as a medium, take a flat, thin, rectangular piece of clay and put several waves in it, just like waves in an ocean. Decrease the distance between each wave by squishing the waves together, and this creates a dome. The word dome brings to mind an upside-down bowl, and geological domes are not that symmetrical, usually. Just with diaporism, refolding also takes a kind of Russian nesting doll or onion architecture, so as each layer erodes, it will leave those concentric circles as well, or whatever the shape is. The eye is said to have been originally only known about by tribespeople, and didn't gain much popularity until space travel. As the eye of the Sahara is visible from space, some of the first astronauts used it as a visual landmark. The first pictures were taken of this by the Gemini astronauts in the 1960s. Now, there is a hotel in the middle of it. From what I've read from first-hand accounts, it's very hard to tell if you are actually in the eye from ground level, which makes me wonder how tribes people knew about it. Regardless, once science was made aware of this thing, the first theory as to how it was made was that it was an impact crater. That's what I would think at first sight as well. It looks like stationary ripples in a pool. This theory was found to be wrong by simply testing the rock inside the eye. It would be expected that an impact that would create a crater this size would have left behind some matter, and this matter would not be of this Earth. Every sample tested has come back terrestrial. What is believed by geologists today is that as Pangaea broke apart, ocean water flowed into the void in the land. This is evidenced by fish and whalebone fossils found, though exactly when it was surrounded by ocean is unknown. As the water flowed in, magma was being pushed up towards the surface, which created a dome that pushed above the surface and cooled. New layers of lava cool over the stuff already cooled, creating layers. As the cooled dome began to erode, it left behind concentric circles of each layer. Well, this is all well and good, but this is stranger than. So we're gonna get a little weird. There have been other things besides fossils and rock found at this site. Evidence of human life in the way of stone artifacts, such as arrowheads and stone spheres, were found as well as what appears to be a stone boogie board. It's called the surfboard of the gods, and, like most of the human-made artifacts found, dates back around 12,000 years. That's roughly 10,000 BCE. Though it's hard to say what this thing actually is, 
it would take advanced techniques to make it. That much is certain. Uniformly just under 2 inches thick, this is 20 inches wide and 3.7 feet long, and it comes to a point at each end similar to a canoe, but is flat on top. There's no sides at all. The measurements in metric are 5 centimeters thick, 50 centimeters wide, and 115 centimeters long. It's not clear what this thing actually was used for, though it probably was not actually used as a surfboard. Remember Atlantis as described by Plato? The eye of the Sahara actually matches that description pretty damn well. Atlantis, if you recall, was supposed to have been a series of concentric circles of water and land alternating. If you look at the eye under this lens, you can even pick out where the dikes are that connected the water sections. Additionally, its location is at least pretty coincidental. It's south of Mount Atlantis, and south of the Pillars of Hercules. In Greek, Atlantis means the Isle of Atlas. We also know that the Sahara was an area with lakes and seas several thousand years ago. Is the Eye of the Sahara all that remains of Atlantis? Plato said that the size of Atlantis was equal to that of Asia and Libya combined. At the time we talked about Atlantis, I didn't know what was considered Libya and what was considered Asia during Plato's days. I have since learned that they considered everything south of Egypt pretty much to be Libya, and everything east of Italy as Asia pretty much. This is a considerable amount of land, and I seriously doubt that they had these maps actually mapped accurately. So any estimation of the size of this area in relation to anything else is guesswork at the very, very best. Without the aid of geographic knowledge and or the ability to see from above, I'm very confident I couldn't even tell you if California or Texas was bigger. I'm not judging Plato at all. In Timaeus, Plato gives the size of Atlantis and Stadia, an extinct unit of measurement. He lays out the size of the island as well as the city areas of it. Mathy historians, or historii mathematicians, have figured out that in modern times measurements, the city area comes out to 23.5 kilometers, 14.6 miles, from the middle to the outer ring. I believe this measurement is from the middle ring and not the exact center of the eye, which may account for the 9.4 or 15.1 kilometer discrepancy. So what I'm saying here is that Plato's description of the city portions of Atlantis matches pretty well with the Eye of the Sahara. There is also a theory that the area was excavated by use of electricity. I believe they are saying that this is a natural occurrence that happens when certain atmospheric conditions combined with certain chemicals along what's called the Birkeland Occurrence creates a discharge. Birkeland currents are basically a set of electric currents that run along the geomagnetic lines and then up and out to the ionosphere. These currents are responsible for the aurora borealis, the northern lights, and the aurora australis, the southern lights. This is a simple explanation of these currents, as I am a simple man. This idea of the electrical excavations is put forth by proponents of the electric universe theory. The electric universe theory is one that believes that electricity plays a much larger role in the universe than gravity. It's based on the fact that nearly all of the visible universe is made up of plasma, which is ionized gas, and that plasma is strongly reactive to electromagnetic force. Plasma is its own state of matter, just like solids, liquids, and gases. 
When I say nearly all of the visible universe, I mean 99.999%. So very nearly all. Instead of the mainstream idea that the sun is the result of hydrogen turning into helium, which causes a fusion that travels to the surface of the sun in the form of electromagnetic radiation, electric universe believers say that the stars pull their energy from surrounding electromagnetic forces. I imagine this is Dr. Frankenstein capturing the electricity from the storm to power his machines. The difference here is that since there is constantly electromagnetic stuff happening, it is constantly getting powered and not relying on the random odd lightning strike. Electric Universers also believe that the Grand Canyon is a result of a lightning strike from space, the electricity moves faster than light, and that the universe is not expanding. What is the Richat structure or the Eye of the Sahara? Chances are it's a geological dome. The fact that there is nothing in it that's extraterrestrial at all is pretty good evidence of that. Additionally, we see domes never usually this big and symmetrical, but we do see domes throughout nature and salt and, and whatnot, so it's not unheard of. That was the Eye of the Sahara. If you'd like to check us out further, we are on Facebook. We have the page, Stranger Than Podcast, and also the Strange Space Group. We have our Patreon, which is a crowdfunding site. If you like us, give us some cash. Patreon.com slash Stranger Than Podcast. At certain donation ranges, you can get things like an extra episode every month and show notes, as well as stickers. Check us out on Instagram, Stranger Than Podcast. You can drop us an email if you've got any ghost stories, alien stories, just want to say hi, whatever. Our email address is strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Tee Public site for t-shirts and many other bits of merchandise. tpublic.com slash user slash stranger than podcast. We're also on Spotify, so you can listen to us there. Lastly, but definitely not least, we also have our podcast network, Age of Radio. Check them out at ageofradio.org. There's a bazaar with stuff. Great podcasts are on the network. And with that, stay strange and we will talk to you next time.